Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Avatar Returns. I'm your host, Paul Smith of the Gobbledy Geek Podcast, and joining me, as always, are... I am Eric Sibyl. And I am Arlo Wiley. And each week, we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series The Legend of Korra. Eric and I have seen both series before, but this is Arlo's first trip to the world of Avatar, so there will be spoilers, but only up through the episodes that we're discussing tonight... Uh, And tonight, uh, it's another prison break. Yay, can't have too many of those in Chapter 410, Operation Beifong. And the Great Uniter has herself a Megazord in Chapter 411, Kuvira's Gambit. Uh, So only two chapters tonight. We're we're pacing ourselves as we get close to the end. But was Megazord really what you had to go for on that? There's like a million (laughs) different things you could go for on a giant mecha. You want me to say Jaeger? Say Jaeger. Eric, in my in my notes. I originally wrote Megazord before thinking to myself, wait, no, it, it, it's there's there has to be a better reference than that. And then I put Jaeger. Jaeger's but good. Megazord was where my mind went. See, see, trust Arlo's instincts. I will never, ever say that again as long as I live. But we all know I would say that she has a Gundam, but I would yeah. accept Jaeger yeah. anything but anything but Megazord. I, I didn't even think of Gundam. Damn. Oh, well. Um, anyways. Uh, Before we get into tonight's two chapters, uh, keeping it in the realm of animation, I just wanted to uh, banter about something that dropped. As far as I know, it dropped last night. I only saw it last night. Uh, There are all sorts of Star Wars parallels that we could draw uh, in The Legend of Korra, several of them just in the chapters we're talking about tonight. But uh, somebody decided to go literal with the whole thing and make a Star Wars The Last Jedi slash The Legend of Korra mashup trailer. Uh, which I watched last night, and um, it was pretty, pretty cool, pretty fun. I made I made you guys watch it. What do you think? I mean, I got literally nothing out of it. I'm sorry, Paul. <laughs> okay, you did you actually watch it? You didn't watch it. I did. Oh, okay. I did. It's, it's some. It's you know they, it's a mashup trailer. It's. Right. I have some deep questions about this trailer. Primarily, exactly why. Or is it nothing but season two? Oh, I and specifically, why did we get that much goddamn Unalak? Did they not watch Remembrances? I mean, we've dealt with this Unalak issue <laughs> very decisively. See, that, um, that's why I made you guys watch it, because I just wanted to get one more Unalak entry under our belts before we, we go out of the series. Unalak is currently emailing that to everyone on the conference call saying, See? <laughs> See? Oh, man. Um, good point. <laughs> I, Paul, I feel like you must be happy the show is almost over because I feel like this right here is is the show in, in microcosm. Like, you shared something with us uh, out of a sense of, of joy and brotherhood. Like, I want to show you this because I enjoyed it. It made me happy. I want it to make you happy. And we both just shat all over it. I mean... Arlo, you're not one to talk because that is my entire relationship with you and has been for over a decade now. So <laughs> this is nothing new, but I, and I did not shit on it. I just had some very reasonable questions about what was going on in it. <laughs> I mean, it, okay. didn't, it hadn't even occurred to me, uh, Eric, you're absolutely right. It, but it didn't dawn on me that that was almost entirely season two stuff that they used. Yeah, it was like maybe a little of season one and maybe some other scattered stuff. But there's also I mean, a, there's also a um, 
the Force Awakens mashup trailer out there, which I haven't watched. I don't know if it's by the same person, but it, apparently, it, it quite it, quite honestly, Zahir is the one who should want the Jedi to end. I mean, Zahir was the right choice for the villain in that. I don't want to I don't want to step on anyone's artistic choices here. I think this is a good a good discussion, but I personally would go for go for Zahir. If well, I, were gonna do that. I mean, take, Z- he really take wanted Zaheer yeah. over Unalak anytime. And he actually wanted the Avatar to end, whereas Unalak just wanted to make a dark Avatar. Yeah. Which is different. So, so that's... <laughs> a dark Avatar. That shit is still funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... it was neat. It was, it was, here's the thing. It was well. I, I have questions about, like, the. I never. Like, sometimes mashup trailers seem to, like, say something really interesting. This is not one that, like, said anything no, about the, no. either, either pieces of material, but it was very well edited, and it did have one in it. So, I, I guess. I feel bad because it's probably, like, a 12 year old that made that. <laughs> and we're just like completely dissecting it and pulling it apart. If a twelve-year-old made that, that twelve-year-old has a future as an incredible film editor, and I want them to continue their craft desperately because that was a very well edited thing. If it's an adult who is that's just what they like to do, also very good job, very 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 well edited. I've seen a lot it of badly was, uh, edited things. It was Thelma Schumacher. Is is that a joke? I don't know who that is. God, God, neither one of you know who Thelma Schoonmacher is. Nope. It's Martin Scorsese's editor. It was a joke that... Oh, never mind. Here's I'm, the, here's the show in a microcosm. <laughs> I'm glad the show's about to end, because, so this won't happen. <sighs> Get oh, on, how many other podcasts do we have for this to happen on, Arlo? So many other shows to do. That is very true. All right, well, that was a resounding success i'm so glad that i started the show off with that the uh, the, the antepenultimate episode is off to a great start yes Woo! we're powering we're charging into the to the finish line all right so enough hey we're, we're in good shape because there is no spoilers there is no unalak coming up in the next two episodes so we're good <laughs> okay good point oh wait till arlo sees who the final villain of the this season is um <laughs> Okay, oh God. so is, is it Mecha Unalak? Mecha Lock? <laughs> Mecha Lock. <laughs> um, all right, like oh I said at the top. I would be all in for Mecha Lock. I'm sorry, that's brilliant. <laughs> that is so good. I just, I just wonder when, well, we'll get to it when, when we discuss I feel like this, it but... wouldn't be Mecha Lock. Unalak would like see Kuvira's giant robot and be like, but what if I was the dark Mecha? Like, <laughs> he, he just wants, like, dark in front of everything Una desperately Mac. painting his mecha black <laughs> yeah he's like he's like the uh the lego batman of the <laughs> avatar universe <laughs> oh jeez. all right arlo let's get serious we have a lot to talk about tonight even though we're only doing two chapters so you are the newbie uh do we want to do these uh individually or both at once how do we want to do it uh, I, I think we can do, we can do them both at once, um, though I do want to start off with something that is exclusive to Operation Beifong, right. which is the the mother and child reunion. Um, in there with uh, Toph finally seeing Lin again for the first time in twenty years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before we talk about oh. anything specific, I want, I'm curious about your overall impressions. Uh, like I don't want to I don't want to miss the opportunity. How did you how did you feel about this these two? episodes or... i i especially enjoyed operation Bayfong because of the character stuff 
Um, Kuvira's Gambit was good too, but I think it was more of like a, uh, it was more like shifting the pieces around. Um, but I, I still, I thought both episodes are very good. Cool. Yeah. And I, I agree that definitely uh, Kavira's Gambit is definitely one of those, um, setting up for the finale kind of episodes. So yeah. yeah. Anyways, go ahead. Jar. I was just curious how you felt overall. Go, go for it. Talk about Wait. the, talk about the Bayfongs. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk Bayfong. Um, one, I love that Bolin completely freaks out when he sees Toph and Toph asks, what's up with him? And Lin responds, he's an actor. He's an actor. <laughs> so, so great. Um, but I loved that because this, I, this is something that we've been waiting a long time to see, like the entire series, basically, to see if, if Lin and Toph would ever be in the same room at the same time. And I love that even though they're only together for an episode, they do a really good job of dealing with their relationship. Like Toph, you know, wants to act like they've spent no time apart. Like she's just acting like, like oh, it's you again. Mm-hmm. Like just acting completely normal about everything. And Lin... Oh, as she says, you make me furious and you don't even know why. And when I tell you, you don't care. Once we save Sue, you and I are finished. And Toph's response, though I could tell it was straining her just a little, was if that's your decision and it makes you happy, then fine. And what I love about this entire storyline, about everything we've ever heard about Toph as a mother, it all fits perfectly with the Toph that we knew on Avatar. Mm -hmm. Like, I... I can imagine that Toph growing up to be this kinds of extremely hands-off mom. And I can understand why Lynn would be very upset about that and upset about the fact that uh, she never knew her father. Um, and I love that Bo Lynn just comes right out and asks, Bo Lynn. Like, who's Lynn's dad? Bo Lynn is so adorable. I love him. I <laughs> Some people, I've seen some people, suggest that he was deliberately like goading them into having that confrontation. No, he wasn't. Bolin no, is I just really, yeah. Bolin is just a good-natured but clueless dork. So, he wasn't trying to stir anything up. He's Bolin is like the definition of how to use comic relief to like relieve tension without pulling you out of a scene. Mm-hmm. In this like he's the perfect bit of like awkward chaos throughout this entire thing, but it never takes the the attention away from the emotional stuff going on. It's really masterful stuff, especially him eating noodles yes. while the conversation is going on. Oh my yeah. God, I love yeah. that. <laughs> that was awesome. And just overall, but Bolin's pure fanboyness over Toph is also pretty wonderful. Like there's so much going on in these, in these scenes, like overlapping each other. And I love that the driving motivation of Bolin through this entire thing is that he just really wants to impress Toph and hear more things about Toph. Like mm-hmm. that's that's yeah. his total obsession this entire time. I I got a little verklempt. I got a little choked up when Bolin got received some positive reinforcement from his idol from Toph when like yeah when he said I did learn how to lava bend though and she was like really not very many people can do that or whatever she said. It's like, like you maybe you must be more talented than I thought. Yeah, man. Finally, you think Bolin. I'm talented. <laughs> uh okay well so let's let's stick with Toph. so are we are we satisfied by this uh we we have to talk about the fact that um 
she reveals that Lynn's dad was a guy, just a guy named Kanto. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not anybody that we know. It's just yeah. a guy named Kanto. Like, uh... I thought that was interesting. Yeah, he's just like, you know, she had a little information on him, which was he was a guy. And he was nice, all right. nice man, but it didn't really work out between us. Mm-hmm. And Nolan's and I, like, and I, um, okay. <laughs> and I kind of love that because I feel like there's a temptation oftentimes when uh, for series to, like, they want everyone to be the son of someone else or the daughter of someone else. Had um, that ever crossed you know, your mind, Arlo? That lynn could have been the child of a character we already knew yeah like like Sokka's kid or something the, that actually had occurred to me because because that's typically what series like this do but i'm actually really glad they didn't do that yeah one because we know at least you know in the the, the most recent timeline we saw in the comics uh Sokka is still with um us uh, oh my gosh what's her name uh the kiyoshi warriors <sighs> Oh, holy oh shit! My Suki? Suki, my God! Suki, what? how lost, did I forget that? That's, that's a character both. Entirely. It's a character both on Gilmore Girls and uh, True Blood. How did I forget that? Um, but yeah, no, I'm really glad that they didn't. It, and there's another thing I really like about this, which we we kind of touched on this a little bit when we were discussing um, the the comics, which I actually want to talk a little more about the comics because it's it it is inter- this one this episode and the next one have a lot of interesting comic tie-ins, but that. It's actually really amazing, and this is very rare for a female character to get to have had a string of lovers and, like, a kid with one of them who's now gone, and for her not to be judged about it on any axis except between her relationship with her child. Like, not like, oh, you were a bad mom, specifically mom. Like, it's just that, you know, Toph has made choices in her life that have had consequences, but there's no special call-out like she was wrong to have had um whatever lovers she had and again this is a nickelodeon show i mean granted it's like nickelodeon online at this point but still it's a nickelodeon show where the backstory of toff is that is that she stuck with god dudes until she didn't want to anymore and then moved on and had a kid with a couple of them moved on doesn't look back big deal i i think it's really amazing that there's not enough of that and it's so casual about it that it's fantastic yeah it's not presented in any sort of negative light it's just something that happened and she's fine with it yep uh, yeah, yeah i i really love that but, but so we get actually in this in the top bit we get the first of a couple of what i feel like is the most explicit call outs to uh glenn's i uh, sorry jean's comics which in this we get her note that she used to run a metal bending school right yeah which is that and we also get and i think it's at the end of this episode the first episode where they finally straight out explain the origin of the United Republic, which is what we saw in The Promise, which was that they carved out a chunk of the Earth nation from um, and gave it to the United Republic. And that is why Kavira is so focused on taking the United Republic, too. But it's another thing where when I watched it the first time, I don't think I understood that at all. I don't yeah. think that that information tracked. And this time it was like, oh my gosh, this totally tracks with what they set up in that. I, I it's one of the best callouts for of that that I've seen. I agree. It helped. I, I think it was the beginning of this, the next episode. I don't think it was the end of this one, but okay. um, uh, this benefits from having an actual map. Like Kuvira is standing in front of her, her like metal map of world domination, 
and the only part of the Earth Kingdom that's carved out that is not has not been taken over is that swath of land that we now know as the United uh, Nation of Republics or whatever. What is it? United Republic of Nations. Um, but uh, so that definitely like you know puts a pin in that. Um, but it, 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 it's that, another interesting parallel between um, Kuvira and um, Ozai too. Right. Or at least the Fire Nation, and that the Fire Nation was the one especially angry in the promise because their people were being kicked out right. of towns that they had. Right. And now here's Kavira having the exact same sort of imperialist view of the land. So anyway, I think it's very interesting. It's 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 a it's a fascinating look into the history of the world. Uh, of course, that that whole uh, Republic city being uh, built on Earth Kingdom land it. It did come up once before. Was it in? It was in. It must have been book three when the Earth Queen refused to help the Avatar. She, at one point, she made some comment about how, um, you know, the last Avatar stole Earth Kingdom lands from us or whatever. Um, Interesting. So, yeah. So it's been mentioned before, but this is definitely where. They they spell it out a little better because you actually get to see it on a map. It also I didn't realize that the United what the fuck is it United Republic Nation. I, anyways, I didn't realize it was that big. That's a pretty good sized chunk of land that's sitting up there. Yeah. In the Northwest. The the thing I like about it is that my memory of this was that Kavira's assault on the on Republic City was just that she was the bad guy, right? Like uh. she's gonna attack Republic City because she has to attack Republic City because we have to press this plot, but. Watching this now, it was it was it's very motivated, and it's very motivated by her overall goals. Of course, she's going to go after it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, anyways, that really worked for me. And um, there's one other quick. This is not a call, a shout out to the to the comics, but there's this is the awkward callback that I also wanted to note because I'll never remember to do it later. But it was funny. Did anyone else notice the like? yell at fans who were probably complaining why Katara wasn't involved in the Civil War. Yes, yeah. I, was when, ju- yep. I was just going to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's like, great. Please actually. stop emailing us about this. <laughs> I, think, I, I think it's great, and uh, and it it makes perfect sense. It's a completely sensible, you know, logical explanation for why. Like, I'm sad that we don't get to see old Katara anymore, but still, it makes total sense. You know, she is too old to be involved in civil wars or whatever. And even though we get to see Toph, you know, spank a bunch of Kuvira's soldiers single-handedly in this, she's too old to be involved in this kind of fight too. Yeah. Did, did you all really want her to smack Kuvira like at least once though? Was yes. like, there was, there was some, there was some real tension in my heart of like, is she going to get, is she going to smack her down? Oh, she didn't. Yeah. At some point I mean, you she... got to leave it to the kids. I mean, she did say, you give metal benders a bad name. So she, And Kavira just getting... stood there and took it. Yeah. Yeah. I, was... I like to believe that that stung. You know, deep down inside, I like to believe that she, she shed an invisible tear, that the creator of metal bending said that. Hey, she did not go after Toph. Her entire army was watching as Toph insulted her in front of everyone and then just basically walked off and she didn't even try. Yeah, to attack Toph. So, I mean, would you? Even though Toph back hurts, don't tell the Avatar. But <laughs> so, since we're talking about that whole thing, uh, what did we think about the prison break? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 an Avatar tradition. 
We go now to, to our resident prison break expert, Arlo Wiley. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's it's one of my more beloved Avatar traditions, and yeah, this was this was a great one. This very, one called this one called back to Boiling Rock for me. Did it? Because it's the family thing, I think maybe is why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So, Arlo, what did you think about? Like my first instinct when I saw what they were imprisoned in, like here's a bunch of earthbenders and metalbenders and uh, they're just kept in a, a big wooden cage hanging in a cavern. And my first thought was, these are earthbenders and they're underground. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> but uh, I, I have an explanation for that. But Arlo, what did you think about that? I mean, I'll be honest. I'm not sure I gave it very much thought. I mean, we, we've talked before about how the Red Lotus members were all, like, super overpowered. But right. even so, uh, Gazan, the earthbender in that group, they had him out in the middle of the freaking ocean somewhere, as far away from any earth as they could get him. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, we love we love Sue, but Sue is no Gazan. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so my, my... I don't even know if this counts as a fan wank, but my sort of explanation for that is... Um, that cage is suspended way out in the middle of this huge cavern. Um, and this ties into my explanation for why, and, and there may be more information coming. I honestly can't remember about the, the giant Mecca uh, thing, but the Jaeger, but uh, benders have to be within like a certain distance of stuff in order to use their bending. And so I would, ex I would assume that, that cage is far enough away from all of the from the cave walls and ceilings that earthbenders couldn't do anything. What was the what was the cage made out of? Was it a was it a I metal th cage? I thought it was wood. I thought it was wood. Was it wood? Yeah. Okay. I was gonna say if it was like something like platinum, which we've established that no one can bend. Right. That I, yes, I'm not sure. That was definitely one of those things where I was like, okay, sure, <laughs> it it works. It works because it works. I don't really understand it, yeah. but I guess it works. But it was a good sequence. I liked uh, watching them throw people across the cavern and Bolin having to catch them. Yeah. And then when he, when he catches way, way like pats his chin <laughs> like that. Well, I, I, I thought know. that was hilarious, but I'm not sure why it happened. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe way has got some sugar in his tank. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> wow. Really, Paul? I know that was an S town <laughs> callback, but <laughs> Okay. I'm sorry, am I crossing the streams? Crossing Legend of Korra and S-Town? Is that not allowed? It's just an interesting turn of phrase to use, anyway. <laughs> um, all right, so what else What else happened in this episode? Um, the... Uh, oh, go ahead. Something very important happened in this episode, which... Well, well first, let's, let's finish... Uh, I know we were talking about the prison break for a second, but let's finish... Um, Toph's story with her kids. Did we talk about the fact, like what she like said to both Lynn and Sue? No, um, we didn't. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so she, in a very casual, but heartfelt Toph way, she was like, look, I know I wasn't a great mother, but one way or another, I ended up with two great kids. If you can just find some way not to hate me, maybe that's enough, at least for me. Aww. And that, that seems like a really, realistic into that story because it doesn't tie everything up in a bow everything's not perfect at the end of the day but that's that's a very 
real uh, way to res- resolve that tension. And and it's true to the Toph that we know and love. That's yeah. that's that's about how she would express that sort of emotion. I think Toph just is not the sort of character that would like get all weepy and break down and give everybody a hug at the end of the day. So yeah. does does Toph get the best the best uh, original show presence in in Korra? Do we think? I, my, that's my vote. Obviously, is that I think Toph gets the best material, but maybe I'm forgetting something. Um, well, I mean, Katara was great, but she didn't have an awful lot to do. Yeah, um, and Ang stuff was technically all in flashback, but yeah. he did get some stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess so. I really I. I'm so disappointed that we don't get more Sokka. Yeah, um, I know. Me it breaks, too. breaks my heart. We don't get to see more of Sokka, but yeah, Toph, not only does Toph get a, a decent like storyline and, and actual character development, like Katara didn't really get any character development. She was, she was just like uh grandma Katara, but um, Toph gets actual character development. Uh, her story is tied into the, at least one plot element in the main series and they use her to great effect. Like she gets to play Yoda and they basically save her till the very end. So I mean, yeah. Yeah. Toph, Toph was always probably the best character in the original series. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I would agree with that, but it depends on the day of the week. That's true. That's true. I, I love Toph, and I'm really glad that we got so much of her here. But the so other we, big... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I was going to say Zuko also got some screen time. Not as good as, right. as yeah. Toph, but probably better than Katara. Yeah. Yeah. T- Toph definitely... That's true. Zuko did have a pretty sick dragon. And he had a really good talk with Korra about what Aang would have done. That was actually one of the better moments in Season 3. Though I moments. will say points against the uh, presentation of old Zuko because his voice does not match at all. No. <laughs> it still bugs me. Like uh, Eva Marie Saint is Korra is awesome. Toph sounds just like an elderly Toph would. Zuko? Not even remotely. <laughs> no. So, oh well. Uh, the other big thing I was going to mention is that we find out that uh, Julie's uh, loyalty to, to the cause never wavered. How did you feel about this? Or how did this I play loved it. I loved it. Like, I understood when she, like, turned against Varric. That made sense to me. But I'm really, really glad that it's all been a ruse all along. And of course, Julie would have the smarts and the guts to do that because <laughs> she's smarter and gutsier than Varric is. Yeah. She's, uh, she's our own Galen or so. <laughs> wow wow um I can, tie it. I can tie it to whatever that's what i that was how i i was telling Aaron about like she was like she said is someone t- is that julie again and i was like yeah and then she was walking in and out and i was like she's like i don't know is julie evil i don't understand i was like no she's galen or so she said okay i can star wars reference i completely forgot who galen urso was for a second i was like who the fuck is galen <laughs> urso so but okay I'm, all, I'm on the same page now all right um all right. <laughs> anyway um yeah no i i absolutely loved that and i especially loved that one she does not back down uh to kuvira 
Um, she says something like, oh, she says, you're a monster. I regret nothing. Mm -hmm. Those are pretty fucking strong words to say to the evil fascist. Um, And then when she's reunited with Varric, Varric, who's such a dummy, who who has gone on ever since um, she turned on him, has pined after her relentlessly. She comes back and he immediately goes back to treating her like his assistant and if she has none of it and says if you want me around you need to start treating me like an equal i thought that was absolutely perfect beautiful just a beautiful moment mm-hmm. yeah and when when bolin of all people is standing there and smacks his forehead because you're you're a dummy about a right girl, yeah that tells you something <laughs> says a lot yeah um so, all right. Well, speaking of Bolin, or you know, speaking of reunited lovers, let's talk about the whole uh, Opal was manipulating Bolin thing because we that pays off. How'd you feel about that, Arlo? I'm very glad that uh, Bolin redeemed himself in uh, her eyes. And, and what I liked was it was not the it was not him helping her go after her parents that did it. It was. Him going after Julie. Yes. That was it, which I thought that was a nice... It was like, it had been easy just to have a straight line of he does the mission, everything's okay, but the real core issue of Opal and Bolin was her thinking that the altruistic person that she... Like, the good person that she thought Bolin was was not the good person, and this shows that Bolin never stopped being Bolin. He was just a dope. And given the opportunity, he goes and risks his life for Julie on the hunch that she is good. Yeah. Bolin. Yeah. Bolin's a real hero. Yeah. Yes, he is. I, I, my, I got all warm and fuzzy when he refused to leave without Julie. Mm -hmm. Now, Paul, you were telling us before we got on the mic that this is the last time Opal says anything. Like she, she appears in the next two episodes, but doesn't speak. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if she. I'm sure she does appear, but uh, I'm. I'm almost positive that. Uh, let's see. I'm looking up trivia right now. Um, you're. You're. You're right. No, I. I looked up Allison Stoner's page. This yeah, is the last. This is Opal's last speaking role in the series. But yeah, she does. She does appear in the final episode, or probably the next one too. But she. That's weird. That's weird to me that she doesn't say anything. Well, I mean, there's there there's a ton of characters and if you if we imagine that the the last two episodes are going to be the big action sequence you're probably going to get to see a lot of characters on screen and they can't all have speaking parts so she may she may have she it was uh, step up all in came out the same year so she may have just had to go and record the amazing step up all in i that sounded like i was sarcastic i'm not i love that movie um (laughs) Was Allison Stoner in Step Up? All yeah, in? yeah, yeah. Oh, she was okay. in. She was in. She was in multiple Step Up movies. Did Did you, you think Eric oh, was just life. saying she's a fan of that series and couldn't? Yeah, record I, I was. I was she... like, what the? F-? I was like, Step Up. Like that's a really weird fucking reference to make right now. She I, was in. She was in three of the five Step Up movies. In fact, starting from the first. Wow. I had no idea there were five of those movies. Oh my gosh, we need to educate you, Arlo. Oh goodness. So, but anyways, maybe she was off filming. But it is a bummer. I think Opal's a great character, and mm. this didn't feel like a goodbye. 
which is more if it felt like a goodbye i think that would be it wouldn't be a problem but it definitely feels like we're gonna see more of the character they do close off her character arc i mean with the you know like like she was i mean unfortunately as a character she was primarily brought in as a love interest for bolin and she actually got her own character arc this time with her feelings about kavira and her family so she did get her own arc and now that's closed off um so yeah there's only so many um, Beifongs you can have bouncing around at once, I guess. <laughs> Man, Bolin is... It, let's say that those two crazy kids get married. I want to believe that Bolin takes her last name. Because I, I, I want to live in a world where there is a Bolin Beifong. That is a like Marvel-level alliteration name. That's good. <laughs> it really is. That's beautiful. I love that. Uh all right. Well, we we talked a little bit about Varric already, but I just want to point out how um, how cool it was to see. I think last week I had made the joke that Varric was going to be the Oppenheimer of the world of Avatar with his whole. Uh, Eric, didn't you make a joke about the uh, I am the Alpha and Omega or whatever? Yeah, I have become Death Destroyer. Of That's worlds. it. That's it. Yeah. Um, well, in this episode, he gets the opportunity to prove that he is not going to be Oppenheimer when he just patently refuses to develop the spirit vine technology for Ryko. He, he actually jumps to post-war Oppenheimer. Right. I would say he goes from developing it for Kavira and not wanting to, to 1950s. I have fucked up everything. <laughs> Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. He, he takes a stand, man. Yeah, like he yeah. is, he is having none of, this shit it's a disaster of a technology it should have never been created and he will not do it i was proud of eric this is Varric at his very best maybe yeah um unfortunately we also thought we were getting someone else at their best but it proved it was not (laughs) or were you talking about woo woo down woo down um well, we get since we're kind of talking about both these episodes at once i mean i i feel like the woo thing does pay off so in this episode he he gets at least a moment to shine where he it's his idea to hey if the whole city is about to be leveled maybe we should start getting some people out of here and everyone's like that was that was a surprisingly good plan yeah everyone's like wow why didn't we think of that before (laughs) um and then it's immediately revealed that uh he's doing that because he thinks it'll get him chicks uh but in the next episode i mean he follows through and, and we get to see you know I love how um, one. I love that there is an evacuation manual. Yes. Like it's 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 a voluntary evacuation, which I guess I understand because at that point they didn't know that she was right outside the city. They thought they still had. That's time. true. That's true. But the I, it, it's such a perfect bureaucratic thing for there to be such a convoluted evacuation manual. Remember, the, um, remember that council that uh, or, or whatever it was. The, all oh yeah, vendors, yeah. They probably this thing was made by committee. Yeah, exactly. And I love that Mako just reading off from it uh, <laughs> over the the PA system or whatever freaks or over the radio freaks everyone out. Yeah, um, because it's so technical. His you know he's, he's his reading is so bloodless. Why is there confusion? Uh, I'm giving very specific instructions. <laughs> that 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 is the perfect Mako moment. That sums up everything about Mako. I just want you to know, Brian Konitsko has gone on record as saying he ships Mako and that uh, that switchboard operator that is sitting next to him. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, 
but I really love that Wu is the one who, because him having that moment of getting on the radio and saying the right things, framing it exactly the right way to get people to do what they want, to go to safety, that is the first indication that he isn't just a, either a complete wimp or a total sleaze. Yeah. Like, he actually has a gift, and hopefully it will be... Uh, it will be pointed in the right. He'll he'll use it for for good. And getting chicks. And, and I mean, look, there's nothing inherently wrong with getting chicks. It's, it's good to be the king, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Give me some sugar, baby. <laughs> um, yeah, even Lynn is like, you might not be such a bad king after all, or whatever. So, Wu just can't wait to be king. <laughs> oh man. Uh, um. All right. So another big thing I'm trying to I feel like the biggest thing that happened in this was the fight. No, I want to talk about one more thing before we get to the fight. So um, I think we got some pretty decent uh, Korra development. The development didn't actually happen in this episode, but evidence that uh, proof that Korra is actually a much better uh, or has grown a lot over the course of the show when she goes to the spirits to ask for their help in the coming battle and the spirits all turn her down flat. Yeah. I, I feel like the Korra that we saw through the first three books of this series uh, would have pitched a fit, like would have, would have argued with them, would have yelled at them, would have demanded that they give offer their help or whatever. Um, but here, you know, she pleads her case and she's obviously upset. She's passionate about it. She's obviously upset, but she doesn't, you know, she doesn't start any shit when they tell her no. So, yeah. Yeah. She takes, she takes it very, like, very maturely and without trying to burn the entire spirit universe down. <laughs> right. Do we think that the spirits had a point? Like, Arlo, what do you think about the spirits refusing to help? Were they, were they justified I... in doing that? I think they do have a point. I mean, it, it sucks to hear that because because you would hope, as Cora hopes, you know, we're all in this together now. You know, this is a, a major threat to us. We need your help. You would hope they would want to help, but I get it. They're you know, they're sort of the the analogy that I went to is they're like sort of like the Native Americans. Mm -hmm. You know, it was that they're they're uh, they were infringed on. And their power is being used for nefarious purposes. And uh, Unalak forced them to, to engage in combat. And so, yeah, I get why you're not going to get involved with human wars. You don't owe them anything. I mean, I, yeah, I, I think they have a point. They they pretty sick burn Korra in their turndown, too. And they're like, well, you're just doing the exact same thing Kavira is. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, really, yeah. really bluntly. There is no... And no, and no. and she says, well, the spirits helped Unalak. And they were like, Unalak was... I can't remember what they said. Unalak was corrupting our power and forcing us to do it. Is that what you want? Yeah. I, I, I love this. I, what I really like about this plot is... This is another one of those cases where, like, if they didn't do this, fans would be like, why didn't the spirits help out mm -hmm. in the battle that comes up? And so they, but they, instead of just answering that question, we get a really interesting thing about the 
what it's going to mean for the humans and spirits to work together and to coexist and the humans deciding that they want to call on the spirits to use his weapons when there's a conflict is not it at all and they kind of shut that door pretty well and i i like that a lot Um, all right, so I have to talk about, we have to talk about, I especially have to talk about the fight <laughs> that happens because um, I, I had remembered this fight was coming up, but I'd forgotten how awesome it was. It's pretty short. Um, I would have watched an entire episode that was just this fight, but uh, it was awesome because we've seen Kuvira be a badass before. Like our, our first introduction, well, our first book four introduction to her was her being a badass and taking out a bunch of bandits. Um, and then she... You know, bitch slapped Cora all over the place, but Cora obviously was not in her right mind or was not at the the top of her game at that point. So now we get to see Kuvira go against Su Yin, who is at the top of her game, and in fact is the person who presumably taught Kuvira how to metal bend and how to fight. So we get to see Su Yin using some of the same uh, tactics that Kuvira uses. Um, and I fucking loved this fight, guys. It's it's so good. There's there's like a million amazing moments in it, but I think the standout cool moment is when Suyin armors herself by ripping metal off and then stepping into it. Yes. Oh my god. Um, yeah. This is one of the fastest fights I've seen. Like this, like they, a lot of times, like the fights seem a little more deliberate with because there's a like the type of bending people are doing is like gouts of fire or raising stone. But this, they're just flinging daggers at each other yeah. for a good chunk of this fight. This is this is a no a no pause kind of battle, and it's really lovely. It's so awesome, and uh, it was also like we've gotten okay. Eric, you and I have talked before about how much we love watching um, like teamwork in a fight sequence or whatever and with the the Zaofu metal benders um back in uh book three episode or chapter eight the terror within when zahir uh tried to kidnap cora and yeah. like everybody came out in their pajamas and got in a fight that was i remember talking about it then that was a great example of showing these characters who were just you know innately a good team the way they're they're fighting styles complement each other and they don't have to communicate. They just know that these people are going to have my back. I'm going to have theirs. That was fantastic. We got to see more of that here with um, like the, the one moment in particular that stands out is when uh, Wei grabs uh, Su Yin after she's been tossed aside, grabs her and like leaps into the air uh, to get away and throws out his like cable, but the cable's not long enough to reach anything. So Wing, who's down on the ground, throws his cable up and uses it to grab Wei's cable and pulls him down under cover. Fucking awesome! So good. It's, there's like the the density of amazing moments in this whole sequence is is really high. Like I agree. Like all that teamwork stuff is good. You also get like I mean, okay. So I mentioned Suyin pulling the metal over herself. There's also Kavira's arm blade, right? Like which she which she forms, and the moment where which actually is one of the best like clever redirects I've ever seen when Suyin sort of like hops to the side and then like as like a misdirect throws the like cart uh -huh. into Kavira. It's a, it's like this weird little feint of a move, and it's like very strategic. And that's one of those things you lose in fight sequences a lot of times is the actual strategy. And Suyin like totally tricks Kavira into that moment, and it's it's great. It doesn't work because Kavira still kicks the shit out of her. But um, it's a great, just so many good moments in this fight scene. 
I, I really feel like that fight could have gone the other way if I think Kuvira's edge is just that she's so much more aggressive and willing to actually harm Su Yin than perhaps Su Yin was willing to to hurt Kuvira. And Su Yin is not a a um you know a natural. She's not a a, a fighter all the time. Like right, Lin yeah. more so than than Su Yin is the is the brawler. But yeah. I don't know. Or, sorry, we're like we're geeking out about the fight here. I apologize. That's okay. As I've always said over the course of this podcast, you guys are way better at discussing fights and fight choreography than I am. But yeah, it was it was a really good fight, and like Paul said, or it might have been you, Eric, really brief. Um, but it was good. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad. I, I we, we ever appreciate your um, patience as we go down the um, I, bending I, martial I, rabbit holes. I love it because it. You know, I, I watch these, so it's so weird. I feel like I have a I have a pretty decent set of critical faculties when I watch things, but for whatever reason, I when I, I sit down and I watch a fight scene, and I'm like, that was really cool, and. I, I don't have any other word. I don't have like the fight vocabulary <laughs> to like discuss it. I don't know why that's like my, it's like my weak, my weakness. I'll, I'll tell you this a little bit of an aside. I maybe Eric, what do you think? Maybe it's years of doing role-playing games. That might be part of it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think it's sort of this conglomeration of things that you start doing it. Yeah. When you do role-playing games, you, you start to break down fights into turns, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's like a way, like you, you think about battles in that like kind of chess match way as a result. And I think it's also like what you watched movie-wise. I mean, like, I don't know about you, but I watched a lot of martial arts movies yeah. growing yeah. up. Um, so that's another thing is it's it's amazing seeing for really the first time this level of martial arts in a animated movie. Because even like anime, which you would like, you would expect to have like amazing martial arts when there is. There are some martial arts. There are some anime series with great martial arts, but generally speaking, the way anime approaches combat is very different than the way Avatar or like a like a Wuja film would would approach combat. So, um, short of like Cowboy Bebop and stuff like that, there isn't a whole lot in anime with has this kind of martial arts going on. And Avatar is just top notch at it. So yeah. it's like it feels like watching a like a Wuja movie, but but animated. I never thought I would say that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have a lot of a lot of familiarity with a lot of martial arts movies, so I guess that's 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 something to consider. A question I wanted to ask you guys because I know you are generally you especially Eric are much more knowledgeable about anime than I am. Would you, would you say The Legend of Korra leans a lot more into anime territory than Avatar did? Yes, on a lot of ways, especially this season. Um, but especially the episode we're about to talk about. Right. But um, but no, it does. I mean, I think that it, it it's interesting because it's not aesthetically anime in terms of the way its character designs are, or the way that it's animated, or even the way that it's paced. It, it doesn't really borrow a lot from anime in that respect. But we do start to pick up some of like the the like superficial aspects of anime in this, and some of the the way anime is written. I mean, I think it bar- I think that you start to get a lot of influence from like the way Gundam is plotted in this, but then you also you just start getting mecha and the mecha in Korra are pure anime. Like there are there are there's that mecha and American stuff sometimes that we've borrowed, but for the most part, American mecha is very different and this shit is anime, not just Kavira's Jaeger, but 
we haven't seen them in action yet, but just the idea of hummingbird flying mechas <laughs> is pure anime. So this definitely has it leans way more anime and gets more and more anime as it goes along, Korra, whereas Avatar was sort of at a set level of what it had learned from anime the whole time. I also feel like okay. the spirits uh, that we get in Legend of Korra, th- to me, those feel like very anime. Ah, that's a good call. That is, they, they, they are very clearly influenced by Miyazaki, the, yeah. the, um, the spirits. And, and Spirited Away... And Totoro, especially, I would say, yeah. they pull from those. Did uh, anybody yes. did anybody notice uh, we got to see the carrot spirit again? No, no, I missed that. Yeah, when when uh, when Korra goes to the spirit world and is first getting their attention and talking about how I know that uh, you're feeling the attacks of Kavira too, or whatever. Anyways, it pans across a group of them, and the carrot spirit is there. <sighs> so. There's there's a spin-off series for the carrot spirit in my in the back <laughs> of my mind too. Nice. It's one of our many rotating spin-offs. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Um All right, so let's get to the uh let's get to the big stuff literally. Um well, we we didn't say a lot about her about Kuvira's um super weapon which finally stands revealed and finally gets its test in a very uh Philadelphia experiment uh sort of way. Or wait. Phil, is that it? I always get Philadelphia and Manhattan experiment. Wait, we're talking about the, what are we talking about? The nuclear bomb? It's yeah, the Manhattan Project. Manhattan Project. The Philadelphia experiment was like the time travel thing. Okay, that's what I was saying. <laughs> Damn it. Anyways, um, yeah, so complete with like an abandoned town that's set up just to be a target and all that stuff. Uh, and we... Do you think, Indiana, do you think uh, Cora era Indiana Jones was hiding in like a refrigerator somewhere? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, okay. yeah. I mean... I mean, yeah. I don't know why <laughs> Bolin wasn't hiding into. <laughs> um, anyways, so and then there's, I think Julie, or they're they're talking about how it's such a massive weapon that she couldn't possibly move it unless it's on rails. Which is, you know, they've been talking all season about how effective the the rails are in the Earth Kingdom. Ah, uh, but it was a misdirect. Uh, welcome to Republic City Rim, Eric. Yeah. So, um, I, I, do you want to go first since mechas are your thing, or do you want to hear Arlo talk about this? No, I want to hear what you all have to say. I want to, I want to hear your thoughts on this, and I'll, I'll talk about Mecha a little bit after this. So go for it. Like obviously, I knew they had the super weapon, the the cannon, and we got to see what it did when it blew a hole through that rock. Um, I was not expecting the uh, the the Megazord. Or uh, or for Kuvira, you know, to be controlling it like a Jaeger. Um, and, and that's what prompted me to ask if you thought this, that, that Korra was a lot more anime than Avatar. Because, you know, it, again, not being super familiar with anime, I immediately went to Pacific Rim when she was controlling it by, by her movements. But hey, I who, was like, who, who would even be drift compatible with Kuvira anyways? That's a oh, I bet. I, I'm I'm sure Batar Jr. wishes he was, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but so my mind went to Pacific Rim, but I was like, you know, Pacific Rim surely got that from 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 somewhere else. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, I was not expecting that at all. Uh, apparently, no one on the show was either. Julie had no idea they were building it. No one knew they were building it. Um, 
Yeah, that's that's pretty fucking intense. By the way, um, the person who is drift compatible with Kavira is obvious, and it's Korra. Oh, shit. Wow. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so what, what did you think about the, the Mecha Paul? Um, I, at this point, having seen the show before, at this point, I, I actually love it a lot. I will say, and this is a question I wanted to ask mostly you, Arlo, since this is your first time through. Uh, on my first time through, um, I, I s- struggled with it just a little bit at first. And it's because it's the reason why I think I struggled all the way through in my first viewing of Korra. I, I always loved it, but I, I'm much more settled in my love of Korra now than I was. And part of it is because of the whole industrial revolution thing that's going on. The fact that we have cars now, we have mecha suits, tanks, radio, and all that stuff. And having a 250-foot-tall robot walk into the sort of Asian fantasy setting of uh, the world of Avatar felt like, uh, you know, one step too far for me, at least at first. I, I quickly got over that and I love it now. But did you feel anything like that, Arlo? Like when, when you first saw the, the Jaeger or whatever, did you go, really? Do we have to go there? It, it definitely was a big leap, but it also makes sense, you know. We, we, we've seen the industrialization of the Avatar world, and, you know, if you know, we've been making Oppenheimer comparisons, if they're going to go that far, then, you know, given that we've all that, that mechas have been a part of Korra since the very first season, mm-hmm. I guess it makes sense that the end result is that the terrible fascist who wants to control everything builds the biggest, worst mecha possible. Yeah. So, so I want, before I talk about the mecha aspect of this, here's what I like about this on a story level. And I will say that, of course, I lost my shit in a good way when the mecha showed up. Well, I lost my shit this entire season about how anime it was getting. But the thing I like is this is another piece of Kavira being a synthesis of all the previous Korra villains. And she has aspects of it all. There's aspects of Amon's equalism traits in that, like, she's using technology so much that her soldiers who are not benders are also formidable. So she has sort of even the playing field against benders mm-hmm. by that kind of thing. She is um, use she's she wants to end the avatar. Thinks the avatar is outmoded and useless, like Zaheer. She has that aspect of it, although he's she's taking it into the into overall control instead of anarchy. And now, like Unalak and Vatu, she is both trying to use the spirits as a weapon. And now we get an echo of of the giant um, Unavatu villain at mm-hmm. the end so and and like, like super- i and like i mentioned before her super weapon makes the vatu beam yes. sound too so yes so it's just like another piece of core of of um kavira being the culmination of everything core has gone through so i like it on a story level for that very good um, point very good point but on a mecha level so i love this i love this a lot and a lot of what i love about it is going to come up in the next two episodes because obviously we have we got some mecha fighting to mm-hmm. do i mean the, the team has to figure out how to take down a gigantic mecha but um the is is cora gonna become two stories tall again i'm not gonna say anything about what's going i'm not <laughs> right. gonna let you watch this i i love the next two episodes um but and, and everything that happens in them but um they what i like about this mecha is a couple of things one is it moves like a giant mecha we have all these other mechas that are like fast and dangerous and this is slow and overpowering and impenetrable which i really like 
Um, I love the way Kavira controls it with metal bending. Yeah. The fact that it is the fact that she is like an like a pilot of one in the middle of this metal bendable mecha is so cool. I can't like it calls back to a lot of versions of anime mechas which have weird control systems. Like there's a lot of psychic control of mechas in, in anime and weird control screens. So you kinda get like that, like the person and the machine are the same thing that you get in a lot of really good mecha stuff. Um and then that spirit gun is just I, I love specifically the whoever designed the way the mecha gets into position and its arm on its hand is a very like it you like you want those like iconic like clear definable physical moments when you're dealing with like a giant monster kind of thing and the, like the whole process of the gun slowly like rotating up on its arm it, it raising its arm it's steadying itself with the other arm and then the 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 sound is great because as you get that a couple of times and you start seeing it happening the dread builds up faster when it's happening because you're like oh it's gonna fucking fire again oh no so very effective use of of all of that so i i love this i was so excited when the giant mecha showed up and i was excited again so and they don't they don't waste it it's good it's all good stuff we, we get more uh, on-camera death too or basically, basically on camera. Yeah, that outpost, like when, when the mecha oh, first yeah. shows up and they're like, oh my god, her army's here a week early. Call call Republic City, you have to warn them. And then uh, the entire fortress gets blown to shit. Presumably the guys standing on the wall went up with it. Uh, and I should say, like, the animation on the way that explodes reminds me of anime mm-hmm. a lot. I don't know how to describe it exactly, but there's, like, the way it's sort of, like, it doesn't, like massively explode like it sort of collapses backwards towards the beam and then smoke comes out like just that look reminds me a lot of the way um massive super weapon beam uh things this is all very gundam i should say like there is commonly in gundam some kind of weirdo super weapon and often some kind of weirdo super mech but in a very particular way and this is this is very very gundam more than it is just generic mecha i have no idea if they're gundam fans but everything about the Kavira thing uh, with her mecha reminds me of Gundam. So that's probably why I'm in. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier about um, the... Weren't we talking about the Fire Nation and their how, like, industrial they were? Did that come yeah. up at some point? Okay. I, I've, I'm loving the, the sort of progression of uh, cultural, technological status in the world of avatar because in avatar the last airbender um even though we got to see the earth kingdom they were pretty clever with their mail delivery system in omashu and all that stuff the the industrialized nation was the fire nation and that was because of the whole you know metaphorical forge of war thing or whatever they were the firebenders they could they could forge all this stuff so it felt like all of the like we saw the tanks come out of there and the the ships um, and now, uh, 70 some odd years later, we've got the, uh, the earth kingdom who has, uh, had 70 years to advance the art of metal bending. They really feel like they're the ones on the cutting edge of technology, even though Varric and Asami and future industries are, are obviously, um, coming up with fantastic stuff. I still feel like the like Zhao Fu is the gleaming city on the hill. I feel like the the applications of metal bending that uh that Su Yin and, and Zhao Fu came up with and then uh 
Kuvira is now adapting for war. I feel like they are the new industrialized nation of this series. Yeah. That, that, that tracks. So, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, they um, no, they you're right. I think it is interesting that the, that the Earth Nation did pick up the the um the Goba, which I actually think makes some sense too because you figure that Republic City, which is where a lot of stuff was happening, is on Earth Nation land. Mm-hmm. And so there's like easy trade probably with them. You have, you know, Cabbage Corp is right there. Um <laughs> so and yeah, and and the what Suyin did with Zhao Fu in her little bubble city of technology is is obviously advance things very quickly. Actually, one thing I really like is that we have many pockets of technological development. We have Zhao Fu is sort of the technological utopia, kind of like the utopia that you that would like people would have been writing about in that era, you know. And, yeah. and then you get like Varric and future like in future industries with their more like practical uh, technocracy with like technocracy rather with like the cars and the, the mechas and all of that. So anyway, I think it's interesting the way they've technology developed all of this also i mean it's it's commonly accepted that war is the best you know all, all of the best uh, or all of the the greatest leaps forward in technological advancement come in times of war and since the the earth empire now is the one that's waging war they're the ones that are pushing the envelope um all right what else have we got arlo oh we got uh so we had a prison break in the last episode but we get something that I I think is even better in this one. The heist is yeah the the oh, kidnapping the heist. yeah the, the, the kidnapping of Batar Junior. What do you think about that man? Yeah, it was it was pretty effective. <laughs> I mean, I I just loved it because uh, they handled it. It was different than anything else we've seen them do on the show. Like it was it was a covert op, and they had to be quiet, and so they actually were. Like the, like the whole scene played out. Deathly this quiet. Is, this is opposed to like the covert op of several episodes ago, where they were supposed to sneak into Kuvira's, or where uh, Su Yin and her boys were supposed to sneak yeah. into Kuvira's camp and and just failed miserably. Right, right, yeah. Uh, well, and that's the other thing. So not only is this like, does it just play on screen differently than I feel like they've done this kind of stuff before, but unlike so many other things that we've things like this we've seen in the show, this actually works. This is actually effective. They have a mission, they go in, they execute their mission, and it is 100% effective. No one ever trips, no no one triggers an alarm, uh, you know, no, they're never close to getting caught. They just go in there, they kidnap the guy, and they get out. And it sets up the beautiful comedic moment of, you know, the, sh- the airship showing up uh, and the guards figuring out that uh, for some reason Batar is not actually on the ship, and Raiko's like, what the hell, come on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 gaga for heists. So <laughs> I I was all over the scene. I I especially love Tenzin's Tenzin in the X-Men suit. Right. Really I, the important thing. Yeah, I mean heists are only made better when you've got airbenders wearing superhero costumes. <laughs> and, it, but it was it was weird seeing Tenzin out of his robes though, wasn't it? Like did you find yeah. that disconcerting a little bit? Like he's skinny. Like yeah. you know, like you don't think of him that way because he's yeah, I mean, I mean, it's taken some adjusting to see him. Like, he's been wearing that suit under the robe, and and you get a glimpse of it every once in a while, and that looks weird enough. But then without the robe, with him just wearing a skin-tight, like, diving suit or whatever, yeah. 
or wetsuit. There's a moment before the heist that I want to ask you guys about. Um, when Milo wants to come along. Oh, no. And, and Cora <laughs> tells him, sorry, buddy, this mission counts on everyone being as silent as possible. And you're far too just too much of a wild card. And that's cute. That's funny. I laughed. And then Milo actually farts. Like, I know the show has done fart jokes before, but it's about to end and things are really serious and the show has matured so much. <laughs> like, I just, I, I don't know. How did you guys feel about a fart. the last minute fart joke? A fart too far? Is that what that was? A, a fart too far, exactly. Paul's asking if the mecha's too far, but no. It was the fart. <laughs> I want to know if the fart is too far. I mean, th- this was an episode after the snotty um, Air Bison. So. Uh, whose name is Juicy, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I, ju- I just want to say, because I, do- I don't remember if we've commented on it, but this has been a- an issue I've had with the entire run of Legend of Korra. Granted, we only, I think we only ever heard one Bison's name in uh, Avatar, because there was only one Bison, Appa. Um, but I don't know. Appa sounded like a real name. Since then, we've had... Uh, we have Juicy, Lefty, uh, Oogie. Like, the bison in Legend of Korra have some shitty names. Oogie's a great name. Mm, is it? <laughs> I feel like Oogie was, was a name Tenzin came up when he was Milo's age. No, Oogie's a good name. I'm uh, not going to take this from you. <laughs> I hope Oogie has a, a twin brother, Boogie. Boogie, yeah, I knew that was coming. <sighs> um, so my my thing... <laughs> You're going to miss this. <laughs> my thing with the, the fart too far is um, I'm sure that the only reason that scene exists is because they someone realized, oh, sh- the shit, the show's almost over. We need to get one more fart joke in <laughs> while we still have the chance. Because there's no reason for that to happen. They've had Milo in so many dangerous situations. There's absolutely no reason to include an entire scene explaining why Milo can't come along. Well, I understand he's not a stealth person, but I don't know. Like I said, it was cute up until he actually farted. Like I liked it as like a final Milo fart reference, but then for it to be an actual final Milo fart. I don't know. We're talking. We are dissecting this fart joke quite a bit. This is. Oh, I want. Most... I, I want us not to stop. I have not even weighed in on Fartgate yet. <laughs> Eric, Eric, what are your thoughts on uh, Fartgate? I uh, the joke played fine to me, but I also I, I I agree that like actually you know what no I'm actually going to defend I'm going to defend the fart. I I can't believe I'm going to do this. <laughs> so the thing is that there needed to be some kind of response and I did and Milo as a character is not someone who's going to be told you can't go on this stealth heist because you fart too much and just take it. He's not going to. So Milo is going to argue back somehow or another. And there is no winning an argument with Milo without him farting in the middle of his argument and proving her point. So on a character level, there is almost no way that plays out that is not interminable without Milo just farting to end it. Defend the fart. Is that like a save the cat style yeah. manual? Exactly. Okay. There's, there's the fart defense. Okay. Oh my gosh. So many, poten- yeah. so many potential hashtags for this episode. <laughs> 
Oh, oh gosh. I, I can't, I'm not sure how much more Milo we're going to get. I think this also may have been like the semi Milo goodbye in terms of like, not that we would ever see him again, but that like, he's not going to get another good moment the rest of the series. I could be wrong about this, but that's my So, so that's like his, uh, his Opal moment. Yeah. Yeah. Opal, okay. Opal got to go, go out with a snotty air bison and Milo gets to go out farting. Everybody, the air, the airbenders don't get good goodbyes. <laughs> they, they really don't. Uh, um, all right. What else? What else do we get? Um, wow. Oh, is it is it time to talk about Patar Jr. Or are we, oh are we, shit! Yeah, yeah. yeah. I really we, hate that guy. I hate him. I hate him so much. He. I wanted. I wanted Cora to like fucking torture him, like waterboard Batar. Just beat the shit out of him. She did worse to him without realizing it, though. He got maybe the worst punishment he could have ever gotten in this episode. Of finding out that Kuvira doesn't actually care about him. Finding out that Kuvira will blow his ass up if it's <laughs> yes. Yeah, I might. Yes. I might actually. I might take issue with you on that. Uh, finding out that Kuvira doesn't care about him, because I. I think actually one of the reasons I like that final scene is I feel like it proves she does care about him. But she's just so ruthless and dead set on on ruling the world and winning that she is willing to sacrifice him for it. Because earlier at the beginning of the episode, we get to see them embrace when they're talking about getting married and it pulls in tight on her face. And that was a perfect opportunity for her to, like, open her eyes and look all all duplicitous or whatever after she's like, when this is all over, finally we'll get to be married. But no, she she's just smiling and looks completely content. Like when this is all over, she's going to marry Batar. Um, and then this, this final scene, I mean, obviously she, she, th- she tries to blow him up and, and assumes that she did, but the sort of sigh of conviction afterwards. And then, and then the looking into the camera with a steely dead eyed glaze. Um, I, I feel like she actually, like that was truly a difficult decision for her to do that. I, I agree. I think that. I think what we're learning about Kavira isn't that she doesn't care about Batar, but that in the end, it doesn't matter compared. It does. It is less important to her than her goals. And that's the pain that Batar feels in this. Cause Batar makes the opposite choice. Right. Batar decides that that it is not worth their goals to, to go up against the avatar. Like it's not worth this. That they're going to lose each other. They should just back off. It's not that important. They have the Earth Kingdom. He backs down when he's going to lose Kavira. And Kavira, presented with the same choice, doesn't just call Korra's bluff and say no. She lies and acts like she's going to give in and then blows the whole building up. Which is cruel AF. <laughs> That's what that is. <laughs> so, so Batar gets exactly what he deserves in this because... And I think it's the Kuvira lying about it part that's got to hurt the most. Mm-hmm. Like, that she gives everyone hope. He gives him hope. He thinks that Kavira is really going to back down. Nope. Yep. <laughs> so, so, who's dead and who's alive, Arlo? Did anyone die? I, I didn't. I, I thought they all got, well, well, got away, all of the core cast. We don't, we don't know. know. We see them running away as the building is exploding, oh, that's true. and then there's just that's a true, I guess. smoking crater. So, I really hope Batar Junior is dead. Like, <laughs> I really want the the penultimate episode to just open on a slow, lingering, like shot of his dead body. 
flies buzzing around his mangled face. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> wow. I, I really don't like him, you guys, at all. Man. He's got a really annoying voice, too. Have we talked about that, how annoying Batar Jr.'s voice is? I don't think we have. Because <laughs> it is. Uh, let's... You... I think Arlo, I think we may have gotten like really in Arlo's head when we made the Arlo Jr., Batar Jr. comparison <laughs> a little bit ago. I really think it's working on him. He never had this problem with Batar Jr. until until then. <laughs> Todd Habercorn is very the voice actor, by the way. I'm very sensitive, you guys. I'm, I'm about to look up Todd Habercorn and see what else he's done. I'm sure he's a lovely he human being. Look, he, look I'm, he, not, I'm not saying anything bad about Todd Habercorn. I'm just saying, and I appropriately, probably, Batar Jr. has a really annoying voice. Okay. So you're saying you're saying that the character has been rightly given an annoying voice, not you're not calling out the, the right. I'm the not saying guy. it's bad voice acting, just that he had the character objectively has an annoying voice. I think he has annoying hair. Well, he does. He does. <laughs> like the the like the the, the buzz cut. On the on the back and the sides, but hair on top, yeah, yeah. What a what a bro, man. What a douche. <laughs> yep. <laughs> go watch He's some a... go watch some fucking Dane Cook, Batar. <laughs> Jeez. Oh my god. Uh, but yeah. I I do Drink love Bud Light Lime. <laughs> I in talking about the actual like how Kavira feels though. I did I did miss getting to to like talk to talk to Paul's point about like the overall presentation of Kavira's crisis is really well done. Like the, the look, the like way she's animated, the voice, the way she's like very carefully doing things as she's giving the emotional speech. There's a lot of really subtle animation and, and acting work going on yeah. in that sequence beyond, beyond what I think it says about her character. It's, it's just very masterfully done work. So, Agreed. Uh, another example. I mean, um, Zelda Williams does, uh, a terrific job with her voice acting, but then uh, Studio Mirror, as as always, their animation acting that they get to do with the face and body language is second to none. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Mirror, Mirror really brings it, and y'all, we're about to get into the the grand finale of of Korra, so mm -hmm. I don't know. Hopefully, Studio Mirror brings it then too. Uh, yeah, they they fall down on the job at the end. I hope they they should get those people from the other animation studio from season two. That's who they should get. Yeah, the yeah. They just uh, I can't rem I I've blocked their name. I can't even remember it. But yeah, surprise twist. They come back for the final episode. Um. All right. Anything else? Did we did we miss anything? No, I I think we're good. I think we're 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 prepared to head into the final two. Are we? Um. <laughs> I'm I am and I'm not. I mean, I this I said this every week, but every week it's worse. This killed me to stop watching. <laughs> I'll tell you your your tearful plea to us uh in private message about why why are we stopping at just these two episodes? It came this close, Eric, to actually changing the format of the show. We came very close to just doing the final four episodes tonight. Yeah, and Paul and I talked about it this morning and we were like Eric, we probably doesn't have enough notice at this point to watch the other two, or else we would have done it. It would. Here's why it would have been the wrong call. Actually, um, is that we told the viewers we would be watching only two, right? Today, yeah. And anyone who's watching and keeping up, which I do know, there's some people who are watching it with us. 
um, would have been thrown off by it. Yeah. So that is why I didn't actually ask for it, and I actually would have would have said no if given the actual opportunity. Other thing is, as much as I hate it, ending on this cliffhanger before we go in is right. Like we're gonna be totally primed for the last two episodes as a result. So it is for the best too. And and that's how they were aired. Uh, like the the final two episodes were aired together, I believe. I think that's correct. So the, the, the only thing I'll say is other people who are going to do a Cora podcast, divide up the final season so that you watch the last three together instead of what we did. That's <laughs> yeah, that that would have been the right division. Operation Beifong would have been a good closing point to talk about it. And then watching these as a three parter in retrospect, I forgot what a cliffhanger this ended on. Honestly, it it slipped my mind that this was a cliffhanger until I was at the end. So yeah, but there was I, no, but I love ending on cliffhangers. It's, it's, I guess it is good. There's, there's ways it's for the best We're we're going to be chomping at the bit for this. So I am anyways. And we've got uh, a three week break before we come back. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm joking. We, we <laughs> but for a second, I was like, I, I knew that we didn't, but for a second I was like, wait, we do. Because it's so plausible. Yeah, that seems like the kind of thing we would do, doesn't it? I'm so sorry, people. To that, that was cruel. We are not taking a break. As far as I know, who knows what can happen? Anything can happen. But at the moment, we are not scheduled to have another break. So um, if we didn't have anything else to talk about, I guess uh, there's nothing left except to thank my two wonderful co-hosts for being wonderful, at least in their capacity as co-hosts. I don't know about as human beings, but as co-hosts, you're you're both cool. So thank you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and uh, of course, completely ungenuine. Yeah, I, no, I meant it. I totally meant it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and to thank everybody at home uh, for listening in, for joining us. As always, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website theavatarreturns.com. Uh, links will also be posted on our parent show's site gobbledygeekpodcast.com. Uh, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes to make sure you never miss another exciting episode. While you're there, uh, please do us a favor and rate or write us a review. Uh, that really helps spread the word. If you'd like to contact us, please send your correspondence. Care of Monkey Yahtzee. Only so many more opportunities to do this, people. Do it now. Get in on the ground floor in the very final moments of the series. Uh, send your correspondence to uh, tarpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and of course, you can always find us all over social media on Facebook.com slash The Avatar Returns or on Twitter.com slash TAR Podcast. And on Twitter, I am at Haunt1013. Eric is at Salon. That's S A A L O N. And Arlo is at Unplugged Crazy. So this is it, guys. We can't, we can't put off the inevitable any longer. All totally fucking awesome animated things must inevitably come to an end. So we only have two more chapters of anything in the entire world of Avatar. My God, you guys, I'm not, I'm not hearing yep. enough sobbing yep. right now. You really no, should I know. It's, be. It's, 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 it's crazy to think that we are this close to being done. We've been at this for close to two years. Oh God. But what a glorious two years it's been. So the legend of Korra is finally coming to it's. It- Hold on. It hasn't been two years, has it? It's been like a year we, and a half. About a year and a half. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, we started in the well, the fall of 2015, maybe. Oh wow! So we basically been at this for about as long as I've been at my current job. Okay. Yeah. 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 I think that sounds right. Yeah. Um, I think October of 2015 was our first episode, maybe. 
anyways, for 40, for what will wind up being 46 episodes, go, go us. That's good uh, use of, that's good time management on our part. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, uh, next week, the legend of Korra comes to its um, possibly explosive or, or possibly, you know, peaceful tea party style end. Um, with the last two chapters, Arlo, make this good. We're counting oh, on God. you. Oh God, we're counting I, on oh, you, man. Shit. This, this is your last time. This is it, man. Oh, I feel like God. we need a drum this, roll. This There's... is this is like what my legacy <laughs> is going to be. Whatever I say in the next thirty seconds. Yep. And I have a prediction that there's going to be a a theme that's going to end up here. We'll see if I'm right. Oh but God. I'm gonna. Okay. Let's All do right. it. So next week, final two chapters, chapter four twelve, Day of the Colossus. Um, it's like, uh, Day of the Locust, but with a Russian X-Man. Okay. All right. And, uh, The End of All Things, Chapter 413, The Last Stand. Um, I, I think Eric was right about the theme, uh, sticking with the, with the X-Men. It's a really shitty conclusion that no one wishes would happen. And then, like, ten years from now, they're just going to bring back the whole cast and retcon the whole thing. <laughs> that went exactly where I thought it was going to go in both sets. I'm so happy. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So tune in next week for the, the tearful conclusion and find out how close Arlo came to nailing it. Uh, as he always they does. They ruined the Dark Phoenix saga. <laughs> uh, until then, remember, I know you're all a little scared. Believe me, I know what it's like to be afraid. I used to not be able to go to the bathroom by myself. But if we let that fear control us, none of us will ever be able to go to the bathroom, and then we all lose. But the people of Republic City aren't losers. We're winners. Winners that are going to get out of this city in a calm and orderly fashion. So I want you to grab your family, grab your neighbor, Grab that guy down the street you don't know very well and head to the nearest bus, train, or ferry station. We're going to get you out of here safe and sound. No, I would not give you false hope on this strange and mournful day. But the mother and child reunion is only emotional. Care for the light for me. Remember a Saturday. I know they say let it be, but it just don't work out that way. And the course of a lifetime runs over and 